Well, welcome everybody to week four of our virtual church. And I want to thank you for sending in all your comments, your texts, your email. Um, we've been working on the live stream. I think you've noticed probably over the last couple of weeks uh, that we've improved some things. We're still working on sound quality for worship team, but I think we're getting there. And uh, we're just so privileged to be able to come into your home on Sunday morning and to be able to worship together and to be able to um, look into God's word together. So today we celebrate Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week leading up to Easter. And this is Jesus' last week on earth. So I have a question for you. If you knew that this was your last week to live, what would you focus on? Where would you go? What would you say? Who would you go meet? So the story really tells us what's important to Jesus in his last week of ministry here on earth. What was Jesus looking for on that Palm Sunday? The same things he's looking for from us today. Let's look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. So as we look at this text this morning, I'm just going to pull four things out of this text that I think the Lord is looking for you and for from you and me on this Palm Sunday. The first thing is that they just had an obedient heart. I love the way this story reads. It sort of amazes me, really. Jesus tells them to do something, and then it just ends that paragraph there by saying the disciples just went and did what Jesus instructed them to do. You know, I'm trying to get to the place in my life that when I feel like God wants me to do something, that I really do begin to act on it. It happened to me on Wednesday night. I felt like the Lord spoke something to my heart, something I was supposed to do for somebody. So I wrote it down and I put it by my coffee maker so I wouldn't forget about it. And when I woke up Thursday morning, before my feet even hit the floor, the thought came to me again, what I was supposed to do. So I acted on it right away and I texted the person that I thought God was wanting me to bless and minister to. And um, sure enough, I was right. I was exactly right. I did hear from God. Now, I don't always hear from God clearly, but here's what I do, here's what I do know. When I, when I hear things that I think are from God, I want to act on them. Now, think with me some of the seemingly ridiculous things or crazy things that God has asked people to do. We have illustrations of them all through the Bible. I mean, think about Noah. Go build a boat on dry land, not near the water, and it's never rained before. Or Jonah, go preach to a people that you don't even like. Or how about to Joseph? Hey, marry this pregnant girl because that's of the Lord. Or how about what he said to Jeremiah? You know, Jeremiah, go stand out in front of the church and preach to the people as they're coming out of the church. Crazy things God asked people to do. So the question for you and me is, when God asks us to do the difficult thing, would that same thing be written of us? That we just went and did 
as Jesus instructed us to do. You know, most of what the Lord asks us to do is not that difficult. Think with me about the Ten Commandments, right? Hey, what's the Ten Commandments? No other gods before me. Okay, that's easy. No idols or images. That's easy. Don't commit adultery. Um, honor the Sabbath. Uh, honor your father and mother. Don't kill. Don't steal. I'm going to do that again. You can cut that, right? <laughs> Think with me about the Ten Commandments. No other gods before me. No idols or images. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. Those are... You know, those are pretty easy things to, you know, those are pretty easy commands to keep. But some of the things are matters of the heart that are a little bit more difficult to do. And that's what Jesus was getting at when he preached on the Sermon on the Mount, because he gets to the heart of it. Sometimes the list of things to do and don't are easy. But when he gets to the heart of the matter, those can be more challenging. You know, when Jesus said, my paraphrase, of course, when Jesus said, you know, if somebody insults you, turn the other cheek. If someone forces you to go, to, go a mile, go too. If somebody's trying to take the shirt off your back, give them your coat too. See, those are a little deeper. Those are matters of the heart. It's the matters of the heart that challenge our obedience. So when it says there in the text, Jesus is asking them to do a difficult thing. We don't know the backstory here. We don't know. Did Jesus know the guy with the donkey? We, we don't know the backstory. I can't wait till I get to heaven so that I can find out what the backstory was here. All we know is that when we read it, it seems like a crazy thing to do. Go and ask, go and get the donkey and bring him here to me. And they just went and did what Jesus asked them to do. So the question is then, what is Jesus asking you to do? God had a plan for this donkey. Did you know that? 550 years before this event, the prophet Zechariah prophesied about this donkey. So here's what I want you to see. Their act of obedience, just doing what Jesus told them to do, was actually bringing about God's plan for not only the donkey, but for what was going to happen. So for you and me, when God speaks something to you, here's what we need to think. My obedience to the Lord could be bringing about his will here on earth. Second thing I want you to see in the text is, so the first thing is, what is God looking for from us? An obedient heart. The second thing is, a generous spirit. Let me read the text. It says, if anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Now Matthew leaves out a, a part of it, so let me read Luke's gospel. It says, as he approached Bethpage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring him here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as it had been told to them. So Luke is saying what Matthew's saying, but then Luke adds this little piece. He says, 
as they were untying the colt, as Jesus said would happen, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. Now you just, you talk about a generous spirit. Look at, go get the colt. Hey, why are you taking the colt? Well, the Lord needs it. I want us to have that same kind of generous spirit that when the Lord says something to us, something that he needs, that we would just be generous in our giving to him. You know, the early church had this generous spirit. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 4. It says, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. Now you talk about a generous spirit. There was no need because the church was generous. They owned property, land, houses. They would sell it, bring the proceeds, and lay it at the apostles' feet. I ran into a friend of mine this week at the store, and he asked me how things were going, how, how's the church, you know. He asked, asked how the churches do financially during times like this. And so we were talking about things like this. He said, yeah, my father... His father's Catholic. He said, my father got a call from the local priest and the priest called him and asked him for a donation. And he said, my father-in-law right away, just because the priest asked him for it, he right away just went, wrote a check and sent a donation into the thing. So this guy was living out what the early church did and what the disciples did in our story. Many years ago, I was talking to one of my neighbors across our wall. We have a stone wall that separates our property and we're talking over the wall, and um, neighbor says to me, says, um, I bet you, he points to our other neighbor's house, he says, I bet you wish they went to your church. I'm like, what do you mean by that? Why? And he said, oh, you, you didn't hear? He said, they just gave $20 million to their church. I said, $20 million they gave to their church? He said, yeah, it was in the paper. Go read it. So if you looked at their house, it is the most modest little house. You wouldn't think, or you would think, I suppose, that somebody that could give a donation of $20 million would be spending a whole lot more of it on themselves. But they thought so much about God that they're willing to live in a modest little house and they gave $20 million to their church. Talk about a generous spirit. I was shocked at their generosity. I don't know if you saw the, in the news, it's been in the news last week or two, a couple stories. Uh, one of the, they're both police officers, these stories actually. One of them, uh, uh, a cop pulls a lady over for speeding. He finds out she's a doctor at a local hospital. So instead of giving her a ticket, he goes back to his cruiser and he brings out some of his protective gear, some masks that she needed at the hospital, and instead of a ticket, handed her masks through the window. That's a generous spirit. Somebody is in need. I can feel the need. I want to be generous in filling that need. And you probably saw, it was on TV, I saw it the other day, that a cop in Boston, he was walking by a grocery store and... There was a lady outside crying at the grocery store. 
And, you know, after much prompting, he had to sort of pull it out of her why she was crying outside the grocery store. Well, it finds out that she has no money for groceries. And her kids are at home because they're not going to school. So the cop buys all of her groceries, over 200 and something dollars. It's called a generous spirit. So we look at this story that we're, the story that we're looking at today. They had an obedient heart. The Lord said do it, so they just went and did it. And the guy that had what they needed just said, okay, here you go. The Lord needs it. Just take it. It's a generous spirit. Third thing I want you to see in the text is this. That there was an attitude of worship. In Matthew 21, verses 6 through 9, it says, the, dump, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now notice what they were shouting in their worship to Jesus. You know, Hosanna means save now. If there is ever a time that we need to, in our worship, be crying out to God, Hosanna, save now, it is now. Save now from this virus. Hosanna, save us from economic collapse. Hosanna, save us from discouragement. Hosanna, save us now from fear. Hosanna, save us from, and you fill in the blank for whatever it is you need the Lord to save us from. I read that during this crisis, there's an upswing in people relapsing back into addiction. So if, if that's you, just cry out, Hosanna, save us, save us, Lord, we pray. Secondly, it says, they say, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were recognizing the Messiah for who he was. They were recognizing Jesus for who he was. And it says they were shouting, Hosanna in the highest. One commentator said this phrase is probably equivalent to glory to God in the highest which is what the shepherds said in response to, what, to hearing the good news about the birth of the Savior. So, they were worshiping God for who he was, and they were proclaiming his power, and they were crying out for help, for deliverance from their situation. What a great example of what our worship should be during this crisis. I don't know about you, but I have found myself needing to spend time in worship every day. I'm usually up early in the morning, so I've tried to spend time first thing in the morning just in worship to the Lord. I usually have my coffee and I'm reading my devotions first thing, but during this crisis, I have found myself just sitting in my chair with my cup of coffee, just just worshiping the Lord. I know some psalms that I, that I know uh, that, that have been put to music that I just sing out to the Lord. It's, it, we need worship during this time. Notice Jesus' response to their worship. We read it in Luke's gospel. So as they're coming down the road, they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. 
I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I love what one person said. They said, ain't no rock going to take my place. You know, praise is what we were created for. Our praise pleases God. I can back up every one of these statements I'm saying with Scripture. See, it, it's what we were created for. It pleases God. And do you know the Lord is actually looking for people that will worship in spirit and in truth? And worship is what we're going to be doing for eternity. We see it in Revelation. And do you know that worship is actually good for us? Have you ever noticed how worship just lifts your spirits? It's difficult to stay, to stay discouraged when you are worshiping the Lord. Remember in the Old Testament when David would go play his harp before Saul and said the evil spirits would leave him. Worship just lifts your spirit. It lifts, it lifts you up. I, I don't know if you saw the video this week of, I, I believe it was in Atlanta, a bunch of Christians surrounded this hospital. They packed the hospital parking lot. And they stood outside their cars and they were just, they were singing the song Waymaker. And as I saw it, I just got goosebumps all over for their worship ascending to heaven in the midst of the crisis and really in their worship crying out to the Lord for deliverance for the people that were in that hospital. During this time of isolation, can I just say this? It is time to worship. Carve out time for worship. Let me say this also about worship. Later on, when Jesus is coming down the mountain, so that's the picture I just read to you. But he goes into the temple area. Watch what happens. When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, Jesus did, performed miracles in the, in the temple. When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. So you got the picture? He's coming down the hill. People are worshiping, throwing their coats in the road, laying their palm branches there, waving their palm branches. He gets into the temple. He does great things. And there are kids in the temple shouting out the same thing to the Lord. Hosanna to the Son of God. Hosanna to the Son of David. So they were indignant, the religious leaders. But Jesus said, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? I have a couple of videos that I want to show you. The first one is of a, a little guy. I told you about him last week. I told you his name is Spencer. Last week I told you he was three. I found out that he's actually four but it is still just as meaningful. Take a look at this video. The second video I want you to see is that of a little, little kid named Joey. Goes to our church. And last week during worship, while we were, you know, you were all at home worshiping, little Joey is in his high chair worshiping. His parents sent me the video. I want you to watch this video, and I bet it's going to have the same effect on you as it did on me. Watch. Were those awesome videos or what? Here's a kid reciting scripture 
at four years old. Here's a kid worshiping the Lord, a little baby, worshiping the Lord in his high chair. Jesus said, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Listen, if you have been discouraged and depressed during this time of isolation, this uncertain time, spend some time in worship. And if you need a role model, look at these guys. Fourth thing I want you to see is that they had a posture of prayer. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Now I want you to notice what Jesus saw when he entered the temple. He saw those that were, it says then in the Bible, they were buying and selling. You know what it looked like? It looked like the local flea market. It looked more like a flea market than the temple. Secondly, he saw the money changers. These guys would exchange currency into the temple currency so that they could pay their temple tax. But of course, they had to charge a little extra. Thirdly, he saw those selling doves. Doves that would be made for the sacrifice. You know what we know from the Old Testament? That the people that were sacrificing doves were poorer people because they couldn't afford the expensive sacrifice. So they were taking advantage of the poor. Jesus enters the temple and he drives them all out of there and he says this. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Last week, I encouraged us during this time to up our prayer life, to set aside some time to actually pray for our country, for our world, for our leaders, for safety, for our healthcare workers. And Jesus said, that's what the church needs to be about. It needs to be a place of prayer. I want to read you a cool story. I don't know if you've ever felt like you, when you pray, your prayers just sort of, you know, they go out of your mouth and they hit the ceiling and that's it. They don't go anywhere. I want you to know that there's a God in heaven that hears our prayers. Here's the story. A young guy by the name of Aram was exhausted from, shoveling, from the shoveling job he had been working for with his, for his next door neighbor. So Mrs. Black invited the young boy in for a piece of pie and a cold glass of milk. It was delicious and refreshing, but he simply wanted to get paid and go home. But before he could escape, the 80-year-old widow insisted on a second helping, all the while talking to him as she slowly moved through the kitchen. None of the neighborhood kids wanted to get stuck listening to Mrs. Mrs. Back because she seemed so oblivious to the fact that they didn't like listening to her lengthy monologues. Ten years later, Aram became a Christian while attending a bachelor party at Harvard Square. Several days later, he felt compelled to go back and tell Mrs. Back. He hadn't told anybody about his life-changing decision, and now he sensed he needed to let her know. She was in her backyard hanging up clothes to dry. So he walked to the fence and asked her, Mrs. Back, do you know what it means to be born again? Her late husband was a pastor, so she smiled and she said, why, yes, I do. Aram told her he had given his life to Christ 
And Mrs. Back asked him, stay right there. The now 90-year-old woman hobbled to her back door and was gone for about 10 minutes before emerging with a piece of chocolate cake. She smiled and insisted that he eat it as she celebrated with him. Several minutes later, Mrs. Back told him, Aram, for the last 15 years since you moved in, I have prayed every day for you and your friend, the kid who lived on the other side of her house. I prayed every day that you would come to know Jesus. If you don't think prayer matters, hear that story. It's out of Philip Yancey's book, does it make prayer? Does it make any difference? I would say, yes, it does make a difference because every day for 15 years, this lady prayed for that kid to come to faith in Christ. And while he's at a bachelor party in Harvard Square, he puts his faith in Jesus Christ. Prayer. They had a passion for prayer. Here's what Jesus is looking for from us this Palm Sunday. Same thing he was looking for then. A heart of obedience. The Lord said, do it. I'm just going to do it. A generous spirit. If the Lord needs it, I want to give it. An attitude of worship that will lift our spirits and the spirits of those around us. And a posture of prayer. Because prayer matters. You know, I, I think I, like you, are praying that God is going to bring something good out of this. I'm praying that at the end of our experience, when this is over, that churches are going to be filled, that people are going to come to faith during this crisis, that people are going to grow in their faith during this time. We've already seen it even in our own church. How many of you know that God can bring good out of bad situations? I'm not saying God ordains bad situations, but I am saying that he can bring good out of it. I'll read a little story for you. It's out of Max Lucado's book, Unshakable Hope. My friend Ryan had it in his, his uh, bookcase, and I saw it and I stole it. So, Ryan, you can have this back when I'm done. Here's the story. It says, my friend Chris experienced a storm when he was nine years old. He was diagnosed with a case of mononucleosis. The doctor ordered him to stay indoors for the entire summer. Chris was a, a rambunctious, athletic, outgoing kid. To be told to spend a summer indoors, no little, little league baseball, no fishing trips or bike rides, might as well been an eagle in a birdcage. This was, this was a nine-year-old's version of a tempest. Chris's dad, however, was a man of faith. He resolved to find something good in the quarantine. He sold guitars in his drugstore and wasn't a half-bad half guitarist himself, so he gave Chris a guitar. Each morning, he taught his son a new chord or a technique, and he told him to practice it all day, and Chris did. Turned out he had a knack for playing the guitar. By the end of the summer, Chris was playing Willie Nelson tunes and beginning to write some songs of his own. Within a few years, he was leading worship in churches. Within a few decades, he was regarded as the most sung songwriter in the world. 
perhaps you've heard of some of his music. How great is our God. Or holy is the Lord. Or Jesus Messiah. The writer goes on here, Max Lucado. I can't help but think that Jesus was praying for nine-year-old Chris Tomlin. The devil's best attempts to discourage us fall victim to God's resolve to shape us. What Satan intends for evil, Jesus will use for good. Satan's attempts to destroy us will actually develop our faith. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. <laughs>